Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Welcome to season 13. Today we're talking about 2001's Black Hawk Down, directed by Ridley Scott. Two guests today. First, Kimberly Amberti. You are the LA production coordinator. Kim, welcome to Below the Line. Thanks. We're also joined by Harry Humphreys, associate producer and senior military advisor. Harry, welcome. Good to be aboard, Skid. Thanks very much for having me. Glad to have you both. For listeners who are not aware or just don't remember, Black Hawk Down, the movie, is based on a book of the same name that was published in 1999. The book by journalist Mark Bowden documents the Battle of Mogadishu, which took place in 1993. The book, incidentally, is a great read. For the purpose of today's conversation, if there's a statute of limitation on spoiler warnings, I'm sure we're well past it. However, for listeners who might be completely unaware of the events in question, today's conversation will contain spoilers. But let's start out by talking about your experience leading up to Black Hawk Down. Kim, talk about joining Jerry Bruckheimer's team. I went to college with one of Jerry's right hands, basically. And I had moved to LA and was looking for a job and Bronco Lustig, who was one of the producers, needed an assistant at the time. And so I walked in as his assistant and just never left. <laughs> Put this a little bit into his career. What movie did you come in on? How does this fit into the overall picture? I came in on Black Hawk Down, actually. They were prepping Black Hawk Down at Bruckheimer. And it was before the movie started. They were just in pre-production. Bronco had needed an assistant. We were in prep. There was a production coordinator as well. She eventually moved to Morocco to be the production coordinator in Morocco. And I stayed in LA to be the production coordinator in LA. Got it. Now, Harry, tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up advising on these films. <laughs> That's a very long story, but uh, <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell, uh, I uh, was a SEAL, Navy SEAL during the uh, Vietnam period and the uh, some of the post-Vietnam period. And uh, during that uh, time, I became very close friends with Dick Marcinko, who was the father of uh, SEAL Team Six. Dick wrote a book uh, called uh, Rogue Warrior, and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer had purchased the uh, adaptations rights to uh, Rogue Warrior. And I attended a meeting with uh, Marcinko and uh, Jerry Bruckheimer uh, at uh, Disney Studio. Uh, and basically, uh, Marcinko volunteered my services without even looking at me, <laughs> sitting across the uh, table from Brookheimer that Harry's here in California and he can be the tech advisor with the, uh, the writer. So uh, that's how I got involved with uh, Brookheimer. It's, by the way, I was never paid for that job. <laughs> <laughs> but that led to about 50 films, major films, uh, mostly of the same genre as Black Hawk and uh, uh, other military action and law enforcement action shots. But uh, that got me into the Brookheimer community. Black Hawk Down was one of the first few fil films I worked on. Actually, I could have stopped right, right after Black Hawk because that was my thesis in terms of what I did uh, in the film industry. My wife, Catherine uh, Ferrari Humphreys, was an invaluable asset during Black Hawk because she wound up being not officially, but actually being the buyer uh, for military uh, equipment, military uniforms, and so on. The issue uh, with uh, 
the Blackhawk. It was a it was a '93 operation, and we shot, we were shooting this in 20, 2001. The uniforms were different, slightly different, uh, and we knew in the process of prepping this thing that we had to be absolutely correct because the audience would be loaded with experts, and uh, we did not want to violate the uh, expert level of uh, how that film should have been portrayed. It was a mission for all of us to make the film absolutely correct, and that's what we wound up doing. Well, besides your expertise, uh, Harry, I know there was a lot of active duty military personnel involved with Black Hawk Down as well. Talk a little bit about what the military department looked like on this film. Well, the military department, uh, in that it was a DOD-sanctioned uh, movie, uh, we, had a, uh, we managed to get a uh, production assist agreement with the Department of Defense. Uh, the feeling was in the part of the Department of Defense that they got bad press during the actual Mogadishu events. And they really wanted the world to know what really happened. It wasn't a complete chaotic thing. It was, it was chaotic, of course, but uh, the fog of war is always chaotic. Uh, and uh, they wanted the film to be done right. And they wanted their participation to be absolutely correct. And it was. So basically, starting with the training part, uh, they offered to uh, stand up their uh, military elements that were being portrayed in the film. And uh, that would be the 75th uh, Ranger Regiment. Uh, they're located in Fort Benning. So Fort Benning, uh, uh, 75th Ranger Regiment HQ, put up a gentleman's training course for all the actors that played Rangers. Fort Bragg JFK Special Warfare Center put up their A-teams. They didn't actually put up Delta guys, but they put up an A-team to train the guys portraying the Delta or CAG element uh, in how to break doors down, make dynamic entries, and so on and so forth. And of course, Fort Campbell was the home of the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment, the Night Stalkers. So all the helicopters were flown, belonged to these folks and flown by these folks. So all three training uh, disciplines were, were conducted actually at these facilities. The uh, beauty of the training scenario was the fact that they flew in, the actors flew in from where they came from, uh, i.e. London, most of them, long-haired guys and so on and so forth. And my job was to make sure that these guys, my agreement with uh, the Ranger Battalion was, or regiment, was that they would look like uh, Ranger, uh, uh, you know, candidates when they, when they landed. <laughs> so, uh, I got all the actors off the airplane at the uh, airport. We uh, drove immediately to where the Rangers get their haircuts. Now, bear in mind now, you had some fairly good sized uh, British actors, uh, all with long hand, uh, hair. I mean, uh, clearly they wanted to be Beatle uh, lookalikes, you know, That's, uh, that was the style back then. Well, I think one of the most enjoyable times for me was to watch these guys transform themselves once they get their hair clipped off they immediately, and their uniforms put on because we had wardrobe there as well. So they, they left the bus going in. And when we went through the door of the main gate at uh, Fort Benning, they looked like uh, recruits. So even before they came in, you were taking them to a place, getting their hair cut, putting them in uniforms and getting them yep. set. And they weren't coming with hair makeup people. Like it wasn't their personals oh, no. or their staff. This is like, this is what the guys do to get ready for the military. And, and the whole idea of that, of course, was to shock them into reality and to shock them into their uh, their characters. And it worked. 
Uh, there were one or two that were a little uh, not upset, but uh, confused. Uh, hey, I didn't sign up for this. But, uh, in any case, uh, the result was we had some legitimate looking uh, military guys going in the door. Uh, and the same with Fort Bragg, not so not so disciplined as uh, as Benning because the Fort Bragg uh, people, the the Delta guys, notoriously are, are not strict military. They're more uh, small unit uh, operators. The same with Fort Campbell at the one sixtieth SOAR. Those guys are not actually that disciplined, but the Rangers had to be absolutely disciplined. So the advantage of taking the guys to these locations, of course, that their disciplines and their mannerisms all differ. So a ranger is mentally much different than a, uh, than a Delta guy. The Delta guys are older, tend to be more mature, more casual, more confident. Uh, and the, the Fort Campbell uh, Blackhawk pilots and Little Bird pilots are definitely like a, a boys club, very professional pilots but very skilled at warfighting and very skilled at flying aircraft. So we gained that advantage from uh, having those training facilities available to us. So Kim, you're in LA while this is all going on. Talk about bringing in these actors and making this happen pre-production. So for me, I took the actors who were all over the world at this point and brought them into three different places. So it was kind of chaotic because I did logistics for LA. So getting uniforms to three different places, actors to three different places, because we weren't on set yet. So you're trying to get people in different places at different times, different needs from different people. It was a little chaotic. Thankfully, I had really good people around me. I had the best travel agent in the world, <laughs> who I am so grateful to. <laughs> um, because you know, travel is what it is. Flights get canceled, flights get delayed. People miss flights. Actors are actors. Sometimes they... <laughs> yes. yes, they are. You know, trying to get, you know, you get calls in the middle of the night. Somebody missed their flight. Somebody's flight's delayed, you know. So you have to reroute people. Yeah, so that was a little chaotic. Thankfully, Catherine <laughs> was invaluable. <laughs> we spoke multiple times a day <laughs> for months. So there was a lot of logistics before we got to prep. And then once we even got to set, you still they still needed everything multiple times. Things got ruined, things got ripped, you know. Well, we're gonna talk more about the actual filming coming up, but uh, Harry, I wanna go back to you and tell me more about the active duty military personnel that stuck with you through filming as far as the team you put together. Sure, we had the Ranger company uh, with us. We had, uh the uh, 160th SOAR guys with us. Uh, and they were invaluable uh, on a day-to-day -day basis because they contributed to the accurizing of what we were doing. But I was very fortunate in that I had two colonels uh, that were there on the ground. Colonel Tom Matthews, who was the officer in charge of the 160th SOAR in Mogadishu. And that's the helicopter team. Right. Tom was working in the, at the Pentagon and we asked him to join us uh, because he was now a civilian, you know, a GS type uh, civilian working uh, for the military. So he jumped on board with us to make sure his guys look correct and uh, help us uh, to uh, put things in the right place and have the right people doing the right things. And then Colonel Lee Van Arsdale, uh, who was a C squadron commander of the Delta unit that was there. Lee uh, and I became very close, as did uh, 
Tom and I, but uh, we work very closely together. Now, when you have a production assist agreement with DOD, they assign you a uh, DOD project coordinator. Our coordinator was absolutely outstanding, Major Andy Ortegon. He was assigned to us uh, from day one. Andy and I went through all the script issues that we had to straighten out and so on. So uh, we were on the constantly meeting. Phil Strube, who uh, ran the DOD office in DOD uh, uh, under the Secretary of Defense, uh, was the head of that department. So under Phil's group, we would submit our scripts. The scripts would then uh, go through Andy, then go to Phil, and then Phil, of course, assigned people to review the scripts and then send the scripts out to the affected commands. So each command had to sign off on their part, and they yay or nay what was going on in the script. So that's uh, that's always an issue because uh, you have the creative side of making a movie, and you have the uh, attempt to accurize as much as possible, especially with the real-life film that's replicating a, a military or a law enforcement or whatever uh, uh, event. You owe it to those that died in the process of that action to make it look as true as possible. And uh, that was the intent of all of that. Once we uh, got on the ground, uh, I had several young uh, rangers uh, that were actually there, part of the ranger group. And they were invaluable in giving us personal photos for the research work that we needed for the uniforms and little details that uh, you would tend to miss uh, through a history book. So these guys actually had stuff that they carried with them on the day. And uh, that was an invaluable asset that we had in the group. So between the two colonels, Major Andy Ortegon, and a few of the rangers that were actually there, that comprised myself as a HOD, that comprised the military department. And this entire department moved intact to Morocco. We did the actual filming at the start of 2001. Uh, correct. In the training uh, at Fort Benning, I covered the rangers, making sure that was uh, running well and so on. And then I sent Lee Van Arsdale to Fort Bragg. He was the Delta commander. So he was there with the training process. And then the same with Tom Matthews, who was the uh, 160 SOAR guy. Uh, he stayed at Fort Campbell during that training process. So we had representation in each of those uh, training operations. And I tended to go to all three facilities, bounced around to make sure everybody was getting what they needed from my side. And so with the move to Morocco, filming in Morocco overall just sounds like it's challenge, never mind trying to accurately recreate a military engagement. Let's talk about the logistics of filming in another country. Uh, I will say that thankfully this was shot pre 9-11 because I do remember exporting weapons. <laughs> I do remember trying to track down every privately owned Black Hawk in the world. I don't remember how we did that, but I know <laughs> we did that. And at the time, I do know there were eight of them. There were eight privately owned Blackhawks in the world. I mean, trying to export things, trying to get licenses to export them, trying to get visas and all sorts of things. And it, it was a lot of red tape, a lot of work. I mean, thankfully, we worked with an exporter who was also brilliant and knew how to get around a lot of things, expedite a lot of things, um, trying to get every piece of clothing over there, trying to get anything you could possibly need over there. Set deck. Yeah. All the, I mean, I remember shipping flag patches for uniforms specifically, like every little tiny detail got shipped 
The reason the flags were an issue is because the uniforms of that period, they wore the flag on the right shoulder. So the flags had to be reversed. The flag always has to tend backwards. In other words, uh, as if you're running into the wind. Typically, the, the, the flag patches are actually the other way around. So we had to get these flags specially made. And Kim had the task of trying to get those things pulled together and sent to us in time. Yeah, the whole uniform issue, I mean, that's another discussion. But it was, thank God for Kathy and Kim, because uh, it was difficult. The uniforms didn't come off the shelf uh, at ISS or uh, any of the, the costume houses that we had to find them because it was a different pattern than uh, what was uh, being used during the early 20s. Uh, so that was an issue. Harry, keep going. I can't imagine that wardrobe was the most difficult challenge of being in Morocco. Talk to me about how things came together in, in theater. We had three elements, major elements that were difficult. The weapons, okay, are always an issue. We were actually fortunate enough to be able to buy 100 M16A2s from uh, South American countries. And our armorer, Simon Atherton, actually located them in Guatemala. So a M16A1 uh, is what he was able to buy for a very, very cheap price. They were basically uh, uh, excess. Now he had to, he being uh, Simon Atherton and his crowd, had to convert each one of those weapons to look quasi-modern as uh, the M16A2 model looks, and also the CAR-15, which is a short version. So he had to make all those conversions, over 100 weapons, in a trailer in Morocco. <laughs> the, every one of those weapons that you see, the, the CAR 15s were carried by the Delta guys. The Rangers carried the M16A2s. And uh, of course, uh, pilots carried uh, a different uh, submachine gun. Schugert, one of the uh, snipers, Delta snipers, uh, had an M14. So all those weapons had to be put together. The 14 we got from the States, the uh, H&K MP5 for the pilots we got from ISS. Uh, and uh, Simon had his hands full and he did a marvelous job in putting, uh, putting these weapons together. The other issue of uh, the vehicles, uh, the Humvees. The Humvee at the time was impossible to buy. It wasn't legally sold to the civilian envi environment. We managed to find a collector who bought uh, a bunch of Humvees from the Marine Corps who made the mistake of selling surplus uh, soft top Humvees, which are basically, uh, you know, not armored, but uh, rag top, if you will, Humvees. So uh, I went to New England, Bronco Lustig, uh, uh, our boss, sent me up there to buy these things if I liked them. And of course, they're the only, the only ones you could get in the world. Uh, as a civilian. So we bought about, I don't Kim, remember how many Humvees we bought? Don't offhand, honestly. It was a, it was a bunch, like 10 of them, I think. And of course the Humvees had to be converted to look like a, a semi hardtop Humvee, not armored, but hardtop. And uh, we did that work at the action vehicle shop in, uh, in London. So I'd get the uh, Humvees uh, sent to London for them to pick up the uh, retrofitting, uh, job. And then, of course, from there, they sent it and sent those to Morocco. So that's how we got the vehicles uh, in, uh, in country. The weapons actually made them in country. Uh, the next uh, trick was to get the Rangers and the, uh, the pilots and uh, any of the military uh, personnel needed to uh, complement the complete uh, unit. We had a company of Rangers. We had uh, 
four Blackhawks, uh, actually it was five Blackhawks and five Little Birds. And all of that was transported from from the United States by uh, AFSOC, Air Force Special Operations Command, on C-17s. So all those vehicles were flown into uh, Rabat Airport, International Airport. And uh, it was like a military operation. They left uh, the United States and they flew into uh, Rabat as if they were going into a combat environment. So it was pretty uh, amazing and how we pulled all that together with the help of uh, the military. Harry, talk to me about being on the ground in Morocco. Well, we had the, an extensive uh, shoot and uh, we, sh- we worked six days. It was hot, it was dirty. And anybody that has worked in Morocco, uh, I mean, there are beautiful places, don't get me wrong, but where we were shooting was not one of those beautiful places. Uh, so we, we uh, actually built Mogadishu, City Musi, in the uh, slums of uh, Rabat. Uh, and uh, it was just horrible. But, uh, you know, typical uh, movie set uh, production company, we had the uh, accoutrements of, uh, the, you know, the large tents and so on uh, that we could uh, set up wardrobe air-conditioned, and then we had uh, meals cooked by locals. That was not a great thing. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we filmed through Ram- uh, Ramadan, which is always always a, uh, a treat. I don't know why people don't consider the Ramadan period when they shoot a film in Morocco or the Middle East, but we, we did that, and uh, it was uh, loaded with all the uh, negative aspects of shooting during Ramadan without getting into detail. <laughs> But if you've been there, you understand. I'm going to pause us here. We're sticking with the shorter episode format this season. With that in mind, we're going to break our Black Hawk Down discussion into two parts. Join us again next week when we dive deeper into the actual film. Kim, Harry, you're both sticking around, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Listeners, if you're new to the podcast, you can learn more at our website, below the line one word, dot biz. That's B-I-Z. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, John Juan for our logo, and to all of our listeners, I appreciate you. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to come back next week. Thanks again from Below the Line.